Well, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Bear Necessities Podcast. I'm back here with Zach uh, for another great episode. How are things going for you, Zach? Uh, so far, so good. Still kind of uh, trying to, how do I put this? Trying to feel good about the game uh, <laughs> that we saw tough. on Sunday. It was tough. It was tough. Um, personally, it's all right. A little overwhelmed with school, but that never changes. Uh, but uh, yeah, just in terms of the Bears, man, just trying to trying to make light of the situation, trying to look at the positives and not dwell on the negatives. Yeah, and that's tough to do. And I know you're not always immersed by it out there in California, but you know, with the Bears news, I guess kind of like the radio news, which I think I'll, honestly all is kind of congealed with Twitter as well these days, all these kind of different headlines that I see pop up across various social media feeds. It's just been broken down. They're getting dragged pretty, pretty hard and deservedly so. I don't think that, you know, we should really be trying to do too much window dressing here. I think we can realize that there are some positives. And when we broke down the game, we went into some of those positives. It wasn't all glum and bad. And we'll get into it a little bit more today as well. But it's tough to avoid the fact that they played bad. The scoreline was embarrassing. And even though the Bears could move the ball, um, and even though they had the ball for such a long period of the game, I mean, they dominated time of possession. Still, it, it was tough watching it, and it wasn't exactly close. Even though the Bears moved the ball downfield, you feel like maybe you'd have a little bit better feeling. But for me, it still left a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah, it was, um, I, you know, again, no one, I think, really in their right mind came into this game expecting a win. Uh, and there was some encouraging uh moments early on in Montgomery's 40-yard break and uh, just just kind of the, the cohesion we saw on the offense right off the bat. And obviously that, that first kickoff return looked nice from our rookie. But uh, yeah, quickly things kind of fell apart with the interception, set, just, just put such a bad taste in my mouth and, and I'm sure a lot of the fan base and it kind of never left for the rest of the game. So just looking forward to next week. Uh, got a lot of stuff to talk about, but but yeah, just uh, try to keep my head up. <laughs> I hope the Chicago Bears fan base is doing the same. Yeah, and that's one critical thing that you you brought up in so much of football is just kind of like overall tone of the game. Um, it, I always find it interesting. It sometimes in my head, and maybe that's just because I love football so much, that football games have like a storyline. I mean, they could each game could almost damn near be a movie with kind of the different tones that they go through. It's like different scenes in a way that you're kind of seeing that, that shape each game. And that Andy Dalton pick in the red zone was just a, a game-shifting, a scene-shifting kind of play where if he throws that and we end up, you know, getting a touchdown or end up getting a touchdown on the next play because it goes incomplete, something along those lines, then who knows what game we're looking at. And we can only speculate from that point on. It's purely hypothetical. Right. But it's such a, a decisive throw. You know, it, it either way that it goes, pick, touchdown, or the Bears end up scoring on a, on a later play really changes the way that game plays out. Um, but exactly. I mean, we, we, yeah, go ahead. We talked about this, this on the, the last little recap we did. Uh, we, which you just put up on YouTube, uh, you know, consider like you just said, Andy Dalton completes that throw. It's not a pick. We score a touchdown right off the bat. And later in the game, uh, uh, Jalen Johnson had a, had a pick six in his hands, which he dropped. Yep. 
I mean, just, just, and you know, I know hypotheticals are always everyone's, you know, most fun thing to do, but, but just imagine a different result on just those two plays. You know, we're, we're in that game. We're completely in that game. We're, we're looking at a 28 point, uh, uh, series right away. So I don't know. Um, it was tough. It was tough to start the game like that. And, and, and that's a mark of a, a good team, which we're not even looking at, but you always think a good versus a great team. So you execute and make those plays. And sometimes it just right. things seems like things are falling into your favor, but I don't know. Surely, in, in just preparation or something, it could have created those plays, you know, actually happening, making sure that those turning points actually go into the Bears' favor, and that's tough to do. I, I think it actually serves a decent transition as far as things going into your favor is the fact that Andy Dalton's furthest throw in the game was nine yards. Nine yards through, nine yards through the air, and and I think kind of what I'm going off of there is if you throw the ball downfield, and we kind of beat this to death in our game review. But if you throw the ball downfield, a huge thing in today's NFL too is that you bring penalties into the game. I mean, I I know Dalton isn't technically the best deep ball thrower. I don't think he's the worst, and I think that he can complete some deep balls. We certainly saw it earlier in his career with Cincinnati. That was a long time ago, but still, he's capable of it. And if you throw the ball on field, maybe you get a defensive hold, and maybe you get a pass interference. Pass interference, huge game-changing penalty at times. Holding, at least, is going to be able to move the sticks. I mean, come on. It's just you... Not only that, maybe you actually hit it and it goes the distance like it did for Rodney Adams in the preseason game. Just passing the ball downfield nine yards through the air, come on. It's just not good enough. No, and I mean, you bring up a really good point. In today's NFL, uh, pass interference is pretty common events. You know, um, when you get, especially you get a couple deep threats like uh, like we got on our uh, in our receiver room with uh, Ellen Robinson and, and uh, Mooney, who knows? I mean, who knows? Just just take a shot for for the love of God. Just take a shot. It's, you know, stretch the field. Show that you're willing to throw it downfield. I saw I saw something online that was so troubling. It was uh, the um, what do you call it? Like the the running routes of Allen Robinson, and they they tracked them all. Every every single route he ran the whole game. That dude didn't run past ten yards. No. I mean, they didn't even. It's not that Andy Dalton didn't throw that far. Receivers weren't running that deep. They just they, there was no. Allen Robinson was not getting downfield at like a single play. He didn't he didn't take a look or, or, or run a route that that went past ten yards. That's just not good coaching. And I'm I've been a you know a, a pretty big advocate for Matt Nagy. I think he receives a lot of criticism. I think you're in that camp yeah. of of thinking you know he needs to go. But but damn, I mean. Really, that is just naggy. That's play calling at its worst. And uh, I, I, I get that we were being conservative. You know, we're trying to maybe dink and dunk, but it just wasn't working. It, you know, we, we were getting downfield and then no red zone production basically whatsoever. We, we had to have, um, we had to have uh, Justin Fields come in and, and run like this read option, which, you know, props to him. That was an amazing, uh, amazing play. He dove for, for the, uh, Dope for the touchdown. It was really, really heroic to watch. But really, other than David Montgomery just being a total stud, what was there? I mean, what attack did we really have? Um, yeah. I don't know. It just it did not work. And if that's the narrative for a drive or two, you know, if we're trying to dink it and dunk it on a sure. drive or two, fine. 
But I, I think my biggest gripe, and you're right, Zach, that I, I'm usually fairly critical of Nagy. And, and when he has games like this, he it just welcomes it, too. I, I think there, sure. there's games where he coaches better than others. But when he has a game like this, which is just a genuine shocker, it just brings this criticism more and more upon himself. Correct yourself. Correct it at halftime. Like that's always been my biggest gripe: is where are the halftime adjustments? And you just don't see it. Uh, I think he's one of the more stubborn right. coaches out there in the league. Um, I was talking to someone today. I said I think Matt Nagy can be a great football mind. I think he he's gotten to where he is in the NFL based off his knowledge of the game and his knowledge for the offense in particular. But maybe he's just not the best leader. I think in this case, play caller. And just maybe in general, not the greatest head coach. I think I can live with that analysis of him is that he's great sometimes in the way that he sees the game, the way he views his game. He's got a unique perspective on that. But there's times where he just doesn't show those certain, I don't know, core principles that you need to be a great head coach. Yeah. And and I mean, you even bring up a good point just about those halftime adjustments. I, I think I was not alone in being surprised, you know, for the deficiencies we were showing in the red zone. By halftime, this was a six-point game. I mean, a touchdown by the Bears could put us over, right? Like we we could. It was it was seven to thirteen. Yeah. Going into the half, like the game was totally in reach. Uh, and did we make any adjustments? Did we start throwing it deep down the field? Did we set up play action because Montgomery was showing that he was a massive threat on you know in the run game? No. We made no adjustments. We played, like you like you said, Matt Nagy showed he was going to be stubborn. He was going to stick to the game plan, and the game plan wasn't working. Uh, defense was letting up huge plays, huge plays. And, um, yeah, I just – it's amazing. It's amazing to see, uh, considering the time of possession, we held the ball for 35 <laughs> minutes. Yeah. Like, we, we, had, we had some things going. We had momentum at times. And and it's just like there was no execution. No, we couldn't push over that last hurdle. So I know it's the first game of the season, but really discouraging display by Matt Nagy. In 35 minutes, I mean, you go like, wow, it's only five minutes over a half of the game. But when you look at it, it's 35 minutes to 25 minutes, that's two thirds, almost a whole quarter's worth of having the ball more than the Rams. And I think Marquise Goodwin was, it wasn't really shy about his comments about the offense yeah. saying that it just played right into Jalen Ramsey and the second Rams secondary's hands to just dink it and dunk it like that, um, which isn't really necessarily a direct comment, but you can kind of connect the dots and, and see what he was talking about. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, for the, I guess for this game, our leading receiver to be pretty, pretty blatantly, I think, throwing shade at Nagy's play calling, um, not good. You know, uh, Nagy is. It, if, to your argument, if you're going to give Nagy some credit in anywhere, he's kind of a locker room guy, right? He a lot of a lot of players on the Bears have spoken pretty highly of him over the years, uh, and this seems to be one of the first times I've seen where a player pretty outspokenly went, "Yeah, that was that was that was shitty play calling." And uh, if we're going to do that, we're going to lose. And the argument could be made that you know this could be the year that Nagy loses the locker room, and we've seen that happen in the past with with the previous. Bears coaches. I hope it doesn't happen. I hope Nagy gets his act together. Uh, but this was not a good first outing. Yeah, not not a not a great first outing at all. I think the weird part is that since they were able to drive the ball downfield, at least it looked like the personnel could possibly be there. Um, there's still still some discouraging elements there, but 
you know, we're able to get some more players involved in the game. It would really be great if the Bears could really become a team that's consistently throwing to six different six plus receivers in a game, just spraying the ball around. At least we saw elements of that. I think that we got to see some of the depth of the Bears receiving core and also that running back grouping did a fairly well job. Of course, Damian Williams didn't have quite the success on the ground, but was able to get, you know, at least included into the passing game. We saw some good bright flashes. I mean, Cole Komet um, had had his moments, and I think that it's showing that at least the grouping, the players, the weapons are, are potentially there for this offense to to be a lot more efficient than it was in the past. Um, I think maybe it's just ultimately all that gelling coming into a cohesive game plan that is gonna gonna really take this offense to the next level. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, when we did our, our roster breakdowns, I said the, the receiving room deserves an A, and I, I'm sticking with that. I think our receivers, we have the personnel, absolutely. Even even for, you know, all the criticism we're giving Andy Dalton for not throwing over 10 yards, most of that lands on, on Aggie's play calling. I thought Andy ran the, the offense fairly efficiently. That it, it, interception was unforgivable, but aside from that, you know, he was, he was running the offense. I, I think at this point, Justin Fields arguably could have run it better. Um, you know, my biggest concern coming into this year was the offensive line. I thought that Andy Dalton was going to get absolutely murdered in this game. And, you know, against the Rams, just crushing defense, really, I was just, I was surprised. I mean, we held up. There was a couple pressures for sure, and Andy Dalton stepped up in the pocket and actually used his legs a bit, as I talked about in, in our game recap, uh, which was which was good to see. That was something that I was really hoping we wouldn't see a Mike Glennon 2.0. Just, you know, the big giraffe getting <laughs> folded in half. But uh, uh, arguably, you know, it was it was sufficient enough that, truth be told, I, I was comfortable, even when, when Fields was, was out there, when he was taking the snaps, I, I wasn't concerned that he was just going to get folded like a lawn, lawn chair. Um, so with that said, you know, I don't know. Uh, I, I hope we do see more Fields getting in there, obviously, as we talked about, there's there's this kind of soft deadline of week four that makes sense for him to come in, but uh, um, yeah, I can't I can't even fully fault Andy Dalton. You know, he was getting receivers involved, like you said. We had I don't know, we had eight receivers. Um, there you go. You know, I making mean, catches. That's that's a positive sign, and, and, and for sure, and, and not to cut you off, but no. I, I'm glad you brought up the Dalton and Fields thing because I have something to say about that. That is such a a band-aid over a gaping wound that is this football team right now. Having it's almost like the kicker drama um before 2019. Like are you kidding me? Like we are we are getting so caught up on one particular issue. And, and yes, there's a debate to be had there. I mean, it's the starting quarterback. Like that's the most important position on the field. That can't be stressed enough. Of course, field could fields could take the reins and, and totally change the way that this football team is acting. But in this current state, there is so much more wrong with this football team than just that quarterback position. I, I, I do believe oh, yeah. in fields, but I don't even with that defense playing the way it did this past game. I don't it, at the very best, you put Fields in there, and we're in a shootout. I can't even yeah. say that we're even that much closer to winning. Maybe we put up some more points and drive up the score a little bit. But and I know mostly what we were planning to go over was offensive things, but that defense has gotten so bad. And we're going to talk about Eddie Jackson in particular a little bit. But th- there's a lot wrong with that. I know there's even comments coming up. I think Mike Lombardi said today that 
this defense might be one of the most overrated in the league. I think that might be taking a step too far, but I don't know. How do you feel about that, Zach? Do you think that coming into the season, we were maybe a little bit higher on this defense than we should have been, or was it just a poor performance? See, this is tough because like the offense, we have the personnel. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say, well, Eddie Jackson, you know, so no, Eddie Jackson's a stud. He's a pro bowler. Uh, he was second in, in tackles. I know he missed a couple, but uh, he's 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 like our big safety net, and and he deserves every dollar we pay him. Uh, we got Roquan Smith, Jalen Johnson's looking like he's coming along. Uh, Akeem Hicks, Robert Quinn, blah blah blah. Belial Nichols, obviously Khalil Mack, right? Like the personnel is there. One of the things that that I don't want to give the the defense too much excuses, but. We have been having kind of this like uh, revolving chairs or whatever the game is called of defensive coordinators. Yeah, right? Like musical these players chairs, have actually. to yeah. musical chairs. Thank you. Uh, it, where where every year or two, new defensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator. It's hard, I think, for these players to get into a, a regular system. Right? If we keep changing defensive schemes, you're gonna have a little bit of this like this lag where where players are kind of getting used to to playing in that system and, and uh, again I don't want to give them too much wiggle room here but I think that that is a big contributor to the defensive deficiencies with that said whatever your reasoning is if you're giving up 34 points a game you're going to lose almost every game all season like you just there's no way to, to to give up 34 points a game and win have a winning season anyways um, you know like you said you can have a shootout if we potentially uh we put Justin Fields in there, sure, maybe we score more. But like I was even going in that hypothetical, let's say Andy Dalton scores a touchdown and Jalen Johnson gets a pick six. Great. That's still only 28 points. That's only 28. We still lose the game. Yeah. Um, you can't give up 34 points and expect to win. It just doesn't happen. And uh, there's there's so much blame to go around. I, you know, Eddie Jackson, I don't think you can single-handedly fault for, for this game. Yeah, and I think that what I think they ended up scoring on that drive, so all things right, maybe they squeak ahead with a one point win there. But still, I think the point that you make is completely valid. Like, yeah, you can't be giving up that many points to be that weak on defense and expect to win. And yeah, we'll see how that. I think you brought up with a defensive coordinator rotation that they have going on. Um, of course, while Nagy's been here as a coach, there's been three different defensive coordinators. So I think that could very well be something that we weren't weighing heavily enough. And it kind of expected things to go back to status quo when we had someone that we thought was going to be more like Vic Fangio when all things were great and roses. Um, and, and maybe we got a little ahead of ourselves there to kind of round out the the retouching of the game recap, just the last couple bright spots to kind of leave a little happy feeling at the end of all this. David Montgomery um, definitely burst on the scene. Great game. A lot of metrics had him as just the most efficient, um, getting more yards than expected on carries, being number one in the league, kind of in that statistic. Um, definitely a, a great first game, great start, of the, start to the season for him. And then Larry Borum, uh, when he had to fill in at left tackle, Took nine snaps, so not a crazy amount, but didn't allow a single pressure. So potentially a bright spot there, something we got to track along. Any any major takeaways from that, Zach? Or? Uh, yeah, no. When Larry Borum came in, um, he looked good. I mean, he played very limited time, but 
uh, it was encouraging. And then to see him get hurt uh, sucked a lot. It really hurt. Um, I, I, I'm so scared at tackle still. <laughs> we just we we're, we're not getting any breaks here. I I don't know. Jason Peters leaving the game. I mean, we had talked about this a couple weeks ago. Like the number one question: Can he play an entire game? Let alone can he stay healthy the whole season? And both of those questions were answered in week one. No and no. And that sucks. And then here comes Larry Barham. All right, he's a rookie. Let's see, you know, this is the guy that's going to end up taking the job anyways. And then he comes in and he rolls his friggin' ankle. And it's just like, God damn, like, what are we going to do? I mean, what what is happening to the tackle position? Um, is, is Peters going to come back okay is he? Are we going to force him to come back? You know, injured. Larry Borum. How long is he going to be out? Uh, you know, the reports are that he didn't practice. Uh, he didn't participate in practice. I think Peters did, but was limited. It's it's ugly, man. Um, I, I'm I'm definitely encouraged by the I I guess nine snaps he took. But you know, that's it's such a small sample size. It's really hard to say anything. Uh, maybe they weren't weren't put putting pressure on the on the left tackle side. You know. Uh, I don't know. It is pretty glum when <laughs> your second and third option left tackles are now banged up. Like it's right. just like, oh right. man. Right. We're talking about we're talking about third string in in many ways, right? Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's just it's tough to see and unfortunate that once again it ended that way. Just some real bad luck at that that position. A little bit bad luck brought on by getting Jason Peters, as you mentioned. Like how long could we have expected him to last? But you know, we don't have to hang on that for too long. Uh, touched on Eddie Jackson a little bit. Want to get into this a little bit deeper because I, I know we're both Eddie Jackson fans. Um, I, oh, yeah. I, I'm a fan of his game, and, and I think a lot of that was kind of his first two seasons that he had in the league. Really saw what, you know, hopefully not what his ceiling is. Hopefully he can, you know, even build up further than that. But it would really be nice to have him back at that level right now. And I think some people are suggesting, and I think it's valid after that past performance this Sunday night, that maybe just for this past, you know, this first game and the past season or so, that he's taken the foot off the gas pedal a little bit, maybe not putting in that 100% effort that he should be uh, as soon as he got his contract. It's tough, and some athletes definitely do it. I think sometimes it's just bad correlation where athletes get paid and and some things just don't start going or some things start going wrong for them or you know teams are all of a sudden able to prepare for them better but what we saw week one against the rams was a tough version of eddie jackson that hopefully we do not have to see again this season yeah i i i'll switch sports here a little bit i'm a i'm a 76ers fan i'm also a bulls fan don't get me wrong but i've been watching the the 76ers in the NBA for a while and and right now there's a big controversy regarding Ben Simmons. He was just given like a 5-year supermax contract, 180 million. And basically from the moment he he was given this contract, um there was the expectation that he was going to work on his game, he was going to develop a jump shot and in the the 2 years since he's been given that that max contract, he's done absolutely nothing to improve his game and now he's on the trade block and there's all this drama in Philadelphia. Um with Eddie Jackson, I don't think that's the case. I don't think that this is a guy that now is sitting, you know, content going, "Well, I got my money. I don't I don't need to try." I think the effort was there. I just think that you know, basically 
what, what is the safety position anyways, right? Like, it's the safety net. I, I think that the failure starts in our cornerback room. I think that we are dangerously, dangerously thin at the cornerback um, position. And uh, Kendall Vildor, you know, I guess power, uh, pro football focus or whatever said that he, he played a good game. I don't know. I didn't see I didn't see a good game from any of our cornerbacks. I thought that they sucked. I thought Jalen Johnson played terribly. I thought dropping that pick was inexcusable. It was in his hand. It was in it wasn't even a hard catch. It was like easy in the in the oven mitts. Like you need, you need to make that play. Um I think that Eddie Jackson was doing what he could and was was scrambling to to um sort of make up for the deficiencies elsewhere. Now, I don't think he's the best, you know, tackler in the game. Uh, I think that he he's obviously a thin kind of a scrawny guy, but he's fast. That's not his strong suit. He's not he's not, you know, this big 240 pound, you know, lug. Like no, that's he's he's a quick dude. He can keep up with the fastest receivers in, in the league. Um, I think that that you know to ask everything from Eddie Jackson is it's a big it's a big tall order, and and. I don't think he played up to his potential for sure, but um, I think that the blame needs to be spread out a little bit more. I get the spreading out the blame a little bit. I think Kendall Vildor didn't stand out as doing anything notably good. He didn't do anything criminal for me. So for me, I think he kind of had an yeah. average game. I think I'm a little bit different you know, than you on the Eddie Jackson and Jalen Johnson interpretation. I think that once again, Jalen Johnson kind of did what we expect of him, um, which for me is him playing a good game, always solid, pretty consistent. I think he did what was asked of him, but obviously, and as you mentioned, missed the chance to make it a great game to really take it over the top. He takes that pick six and he's having a phenomenal game, be his first NFL pick and he takes it to the house. But once again, he, he didn't come up on that one. And I think for me, for Eddie Jackson, it was, and you brought it up, like obviously we, we expect a lot out of him. He, we know, and as you mentioned, that he has a lot more potential than what he showed. I think it was just so disappointing for me that it just, it, it was, it wasn't great to see on the first game of the season because you'd expect him to be amped up. You'd expect, you'd be expecting him to really go out there and try to make a statement, especially after last year was probably his worst year in his career. Um, and it just wasn't quite the reaction that I wanted. He's got 16 more games to change that. I'm not going to press the full panic button, but I, I would like to see a little bit maybe of a change of mentality. Because as you mentioned, I mean, he can he can bring up this secondary if he's playing at the top of this game. Now, should he have that full responsibility on his shoulders? No, there should be better play all the way across the secondary. I mean, I think Jalen Johnson's doing his part, at least for now. Kendall Vildor, you know, sure, we'd like to see more out of him, but how much more can he really give to Sean Gibson and Eddie Jackson? I, I think both could have shown us a lot more, um, but I expect that to change a little bit, but I still think that the secondary, and I think you you share the sentiment, is a huge concern moving on, moving through this year, and I think what pairs with that also is a pass rush, too. I mean, that's it, I, dude. I exactly what I was yeah. thinking. I, I want to get into that to to defend Eddie Jackson in that regard. It, that okay, we had a sack, right? Yeah, I, I think it was the uh, Akeem Hicks sack, which was a great sack. It was explosive. Sure. The the mentality on that was crazy. He was fired up from it. Oh yeah. But after that point, 
you know, what can you do? With Eddie Jackson, that role, and I think that you make a a strong point there, is that without a pass rush, you know, what is he really left to do? I I mean, okay, so when I was watching the game, one of the, the number one things I noticed with our defense was Stafford had all the time in the world to throw. All the time in the world. He had no pressure. I mean, like, sure, Hicks got the 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 sack, which actually I think he got a half a sack for that. It was shared. Okay. But uh uh where was the friggin' pressure, man? I mean, isn't that supposed to be our strong suit? You know, we know, we know our secondary is weak. We know the cornerbacks are are decimated, and, and I think we're asking a very tall order of Eddie Jackson to save us downfield. Um but I mean, you gotta give him some help. Put some pressure on. Make make it so that Stafford has to work to get these throws off. Make them so that they're not such accurate bombs. Uh, Stafford is no slouch, man. He's he's uh, you know he's one of the most underrated quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Period. In my in my book. Uh, and if you're gonna give him five and a half or seven seconds to throw the ball, he's gonna find somebody doesn't matter if you have three pro bowl safeties it it doesn't matter receivers have time to to zigzag get into open space you know i saw a zone coverage one of the deepest plays we had i i, I would have to to re-watch it to know who screwed this up but we were playing some kind of soft zone and th- he just he just waited until the receiver you know found that that weak spot between the zone coverage and threw it right there and it was like there was nothing anyone could do because they were playing their role the cornerback kind of had to had to you know sag off of him, and then here comes Eddie Jackson sprinting across the field trying to to, to he knows it, you know where the throw is going, but there's just not enough time to get there. And if there's no pass rush, I mean like no pass rush, then of course uh, elite quarterbacks are just going to chew this defense up, and that's what we saw. Yeah, and it the real concerning part is that. If you had one or the other, if the secondary was playing well and the pass rush could just step up or, you know, vice versa, you'd be feeling a lot more comfortable because then you can focus and hone in on the other one and make it make it better, build it up, make it stronger. But man, when you don't have either working, it's tough to have a lot of hope. So we're just going to have to see how that you know, take shape over the next couple of weeks and, and hope that things really start to slowly improve there and start to see a lot, a lot more chemistry, a lot better play from the front. Well, not the whole front seven, but you know, some of them, those involved in the pass rush and, uh, and the secondary. So one thing I want to hit on, um, here, you know, it's just regarding, we got into Matt Nagy a little bit, um, earlier on about the play calling. I, I think one kind of, I wouldn't go as far as calling it a conspiracy, <laughs> but one thought, one thought process, a theory per se, is that Matt Nagy resting Justin Fields is just trying to, to buy him, you know, more or less time. Uh, do, you, do you think there's any validity to that? I, I think maybe a part of that is his stubbornness. He came out and said that Andy Dalton is going to be a starter, so he at least wants to give him the fair shot. I thought beforehand, and I think it was Steve Young that commented, you know, hey, you know, Matt Nagy's not playing Justin Fields because he's scared. He knows if it doesn't work out well, then that's his job. And I think Nagy knows that. But I think to a certain point, would he really go as far as if he truly felt that Fields was going to win them games? I feel like he'd put Fields in there because 
you know, come on. It's going to make him look better. Uh, yeah. I So I think that that is I, – I get the logic behind it, but I think it's just kind of a nonsense um, idea because if I were Matt Nagy in week one, as I have said consistently for almost a month now, I also would have started Andy Dalton in large part because we have no frigging tackles. <laughs> we don't have any tackles, man. If anything, it's gotten worse. We're, you, it's gotten worse. Week one was we got we lost two more tackles. Who is the new tackle? Who is our new left tackle? If Borum and Peters are out, who steps in? Somebody that most peop, most fans don't even know his name. Nobody's going to know who's stepping in, right? There is a good chance that Justin Fields against uh, the likes of, of the Rams defense could have been absolutely slaughtered, slaughtered, folded in half, you know, uh, knee broken, ACL torn. Then what w- would we have been saying about Nagy? Would we be saying, you know, oh, his job is very secure now because he started Fields behind an absolutely abysmal offensive line and he just got his shit rock. No, I think we'd all be calling for him to be fired in week two. So <laughs> I, I, I think it's a, a reasonable thing. Not, not like, oh, Fields isn't ready. No, we're not ready for Fields, right? Like the, the offensive line is not ready to protect him. Now, admittedly, I thought that actually they did better than expected. I don't know if that's going to be the case week over week, especially now that we just lost two more left tackles. You know, Peters, let's see if he comes back healthy or at all. But uh, but right now we're, we're, we're still looking at just a terrible shit sandwich, and I don't think that putting Fields back there makes a whole lot of sense, not because he could or he couldn't get his wins, but because we probably can't keep him healthy or, or protect him at all. Um, so, you know, it'd be exciting. It'd be fun to see him out there, but – I don't think Nagy is trying to buy himself time. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I'm sure he is in some way, but no. And I, I think that the, the the thought process here is a long term window. I think that that behind the scenes, Nagy perhaps was given some semblance of assurance that look, we don't we don't need you to rush everyone into this, right? Like this this might be a two year kind of a, a, a deal. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't he quietly given another extension this offseason? Or was it last offseason? I think it was oh, I want to say it was the past offseason where they kind of both yeah. like yeah, it was just weird. They never disclosed basically any right. details. They never about said how it. long it was. Yeah. But but I think that between Pace and Nagy there is an understanding that we are quietly, quietly having a rebuild. And that there is no intention to rush uh, Fields into there because because we need to make sure we have protection around him, that the team is actually ready to handle him. He is the future of this of this franchise. He is going to be probably by all all uh, eye tests. He he could end up being like the best Bears quarterback ever. Um, and and at some point, fingers crossed, will take us to. One, if not more, many Super Bowls, right? Like we we think he's that guy, right? Um, and and I I just think that it's it's this weird thing. Like get him out there week two, get him out. There. I don't care. Get him out there. He'll win games. Who cares about this season? This season is already a wash. We don't have the we don't have the talent. 
the the you know a rookie quarterback ain't going to take us to the playoffs or to the uh, maybe to the playoffs, but not to the Super Bowl, right? And, and you know, good fat chance he wins the Super Bowl. So so this is a is a rebuild year. Putting him in there, I don't know. I'm I'm going off on this, but <laughs> I, I think that it's it's absurd to think that Nagy is thinking about like his job security in terms of when he start like oh week four will get me another. Year. No, that's that's it's just absurd. Um, it, it's it's for clear and obvious reasons that they wanted to test this team with Andy Dalton before they put Fields out there. I do think we're going to see Fields this year. The more the more time that goes on, week by week, day by day, even it's pretty obvious Fields is going to start b- before the the first quarter of the season is over. Um, but but no, I think it's it's just it's an absurd assumption to think that that. Nagy's trying to buy himself time somehow. Yeah, and I, I think the story went as far as Nagy and Pace retaining their jobs is they sold Bears management on some sort of vision uh, in an end-of-season discussion. So I, I think that at least in that rotation there, there is some kind of agreement. Um, it'd be hard to believe that there wasn't when they made that draft pick. Um, and I think that even the kind of sentiment that, you know, as soon as field starts, then it's Nagy, it's being evaluated. He's been evaluated. And and with as much as we talk about the whole quarterback discussion, shows you that's not going to be the case. I mean, we've already discussed Fields, Dalton so much. I mean, as soon as Justin Fields takes the field, he is going to be the one getting analyzed as well. I mean, let's not forget that's a rookie QB season. Are there ever any more eyes on you than your rookie year as a starting quarterback, especially when you have such lofty expectations? No, of course not. I think there's a little bit that can be bought into that, but not too much. I think the weirdest part to me is just the fact that maybe that kind of agreement doesn't follow all the way down the coaching ladder. Um, as far as in what Bill Lazor, the comments that he made uh, when he was questioned about, based on what he did in week one, Justin Fields is ready for a full series. Do you think he handled he can handle a full series? And Lazor went on to say, I would have said after the preseason that he's moving quickly and ready for whatever is thrown at him. So I don't think anything's changed. And then the following question, if he's ready for it, then why isn't he getting those additional chances? And Lazor said, I think Matt Nagy, has probably addressed what his philosophy is on the quarterback position. I don't think it's. I don't think that's any different. I don't think that there's any reason for me to answer that. It's just very puzzling, a little bit interesting, maybe not quite completely connected up to what we've heard from other parts of the coaching staff, basically saying that he thinks Fields is ready for everything right now. But kind of as the point that you've made, Zach, that that's not necessarily fully the point is that Fields is ready or not at this point. It's more so just about the long-term view. Yeah, like like uh, I'll just say it again. Fields is ready. We are not. <laughs> yeah. Right? And, he is good, good to go. Point. The team is not there. Uh, we're not built to, to handle him yet. And we're, we're going to take this week by week and feel out the offensive line. I'm sure, you know, um, just even looking at some of the the available free agents we got, I, I I don't know why we wouldn't make a move for for another free agent offensive tackle. Yeah, um, that's a very fair point, and and that's that, that's a really good transition into our next topic. And that's one thing that I highlight. I know two people that I kind of off the jump, and I think that you might kind of be in agreement here, or at least looked at the same people. Was you know um, Russell Okung who is 
once again a little bit older in his early 30s than another early 30-year-old, Rick Wagner, who formerly played on Green Bay. Two tackles that could really kind of help that depth issue. And at this point, it seems like what could really be the harm in bringing them in? We tried it with Jason Pierce. If we're going to go out as bold to bring someone that's kind of as far off as he was from being in game shape, that you got to at least take a stab at one of these two, you feel like. Yeah, I mean, you know, we did it. We did it with uh, 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 Richards. Wait, wait, what's his damn name? Who, who did we just sign? I'm blanking. Are you talking about? Are you talking about on the offensive line or somewhere else? Yeah, the offensive tackle. Why am I? Why am well, I? We have Jason Peters as our left. Was our left tackle? Peters. Peters. <laughs> Richards. Sorry, I was thinking of uh, Richardson. Yeah, Peters. We just did it with Peters. Peters. He's thirty friggin' nine. Okay, he's thirty nine. <laughs> Yeah, signing a 31, 32-year-old makes a lot of sense, right? Tackles obviously start to dip off at 30, like statistically across the board, right? But to, to your end, what is the harm? What is the harm? Make a couple make a couple uh, uh, salary cuts, f- find some room. Come on, Ryan Pace, you know, you're good at this. Um, get us some, some more tackles, man. You guys are going down like flies. Um it's. I don't see the harm in it. Uh, I think. I think it's inevitable. I think that either a trade. We could even see. I mean, Ryan Pace is known for bold moves. We we could see uh, somebody that that we are familiar with that we know and maybe we even like get traded for another tackle because because it's a massive position of need. It's it's the most important position I think right now that needs to get filled. Um, and just for a one-year stint, right? Yeah. Like, like cornerback is a is a is a, also a massive concern, but that's kind of a longer-term issue, and and it's something that you can you can kind of get by with defensive deficiencies, uh, for you know without the fear of uh, injury, right? Like your offensive line is is protection. It's it's trying to make sure that your number one most valuable asset, as you even just said, doesn't get murdered yeah and it's your wall (laughs) yeah it's your wall and before we get fields out there i think we want to make sure that he doesn't get murdered um so so more than cornerbacks more than safety help more than more edge rushers you know nine different edge rushers no we need tackles we need offensive tackles and i think i think it's almost inevitable at this point, especially with the recent injuries to our rookie and Peters, that, that we're going to see either a trade or some more free agent signings. I hope it's the latter. I hope we don't just start trading away asset, future assets for this one-year stupid window where we're clearly not the team that half of our fans think we are. Um, I'd like to see us just sign a couple free agents uh, and, and sort of fill that gap. Yeah, and I think that's what the Bears are going to hope to do anyway, too. I think with that long-term vision in mind, I really don't think they're going to want to move too many assets, especially younger assets on cheaper contracts, to pick up a tackle that's hopefully not going to be playing any more years here as a Chicago Bear. Um, So, yeah, I, I, I can agree with you on that. And I think the one other player I really looked at was in probably the other position of need, glaring position of need, was cornerback Darquez Denard, um, a formal car, former Cardinal. I, not outstanding. I don't think he's anyone that's ever stood out to me as being a crazy good corner. 
but someone that could be thrown in there, you know, maybe if you're not this whole Vildor at cornerback two doesn't quite work out, you can potentially throw him in the mix for that as well, or at the very least can provide you some good depth and work into a couple of different defensive packages that aren't your base package. Uh, someone that they could certainly go out there and get, and I think that would at least improve the team and that, that cornerback depth that neither of us are feeling too confident about. <laughs> yeah, and he's he's only 29 years old, right? So, Yeah, not crazy old. It, yeah, right. And, 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 you know, the potential for him to have a decent year and, and potentially even earn himself another contract is there. Um, I've, I've said before, obviously this is a little bit more a swinging for the fences kind of a thing, but, uh, maybe seeing where Richard Sherman is at, <laughs> how, how is he doing mentally? You know, yeah. I don't know. He's, I, I, I mean, I know, like I said, it's a little bit of a, a high, high shot here, but I think that this is sort of the year for those experiments. I, I don't know if he personally is even ready, but, um, you know, he's, he's, I think, clearly the most talented um uh free agent in this you know in the cornerback room that that there is right now and uh you know barring some massive mental break i i'd also be super excited to see him get signed but uh because uh, you know he would be on a massive discount yeah yeah it, it would be crazy to see him as a bear too <laughs> it, it, honestly yeah. it would be it would be really interesting to have him in there it would be you know, at the moment of the signing, it'd be very exciting. I'd have some concerns, some reservations, but at the same time, you know, it's Richard Sherman. So it's a name. And like you said, as far as raw talent goes and intelligence for the game, I mean, he's right up there with them. Is, does he still have the same step? Does, is he still as fast? Is he maybe getting a little too slow? I don't know. Maybe we'd have to see it play out on the field. I think there's certainly some validity to that as well. Was anyone else that was popping off to you? I, I really don't think this is the strongest free agent list, and you don't expect it to be no. at the beginning of the season. But, yeah, I wasn't crazy about anyone. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean, you know, again, just looking at all the, the tackles, I, I I see Mitchell Schwartz at the top of of uh, one list. I don't know where he's at injury-wise. Yeah, exactly. I know he just had, like, back surgery That's the question, a year ago yeah. or something. Right. Um I was thinking maybe a little Elshon Jeffrey reunion, get that big receiver. The Bears can throw it down the field if he can make it down the field. I mean, that that's the question mark, but yeah, yeah. Uh, No, that's the thing. You know, I don't know if we, I don't know how much help we need in the receiver room. Like I said, I think, I think we're uh, looking pretty sharp with, with the the amount of talent we have. It's, it's sort of more of a need need basis at this point, but yeah, yeah, other than that, the the free agent list doesn't, you know, not, no one really pops out. It's sort of a who who do we need? What positions are, you know, do we have a massive necessity uh, for help? A bare necessity. But, uh, there you go. Bare necessity. <laughs> <laughs> Tie it into the title. Hey. Right. Um, yeah, but that's that's pretty much the only guys I see. Yeah, mainly the tackles. I mean, that's where they can really look for room for improvement. And, and there's some other people on that list that – you know, honestly, if you gave them a chance, they might, you know, come back and find some sh- like form that they used to have. You know, like it, it. It's sad to see Todd Gurley's career go the way that it did, but you know, I highly doubt. And the Bears don't need him, also. But just, just for the sake of knowing who's out there, 
you know, players yeah. along the likes of him, you know, even a, a DJ Hayden, maybe you're swinging a little bit for the fences, the old Jacksonville cornerback. And uh, the old Prince of Mukamara used to formerly be a bear, Ooh, but has not been. I, I'd like to see. I'd like to see Prince back. <laughs> I, you know, he was okay. The thing is, we're so bad. Our secondary is so bad. I, you know, when we're talking about like, uh, does does uh, Richard Sherman still have the same step, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't even matter, man. Like, if he comes back at 50% of what he was, he'd still be the second best corner in the in, in our room. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. we're, we're – I I am that low on our cornerbacks. <laughs> I think that we are that – I think you're, that you're a little bit lower on them than I am, but that's fair. I mean, they, they did not play very well. And they played terrible. Yeah. And Austin was always a huge fan of Prince of Mukamaro. It was, it was crazy. He had an insane amount of love for that man. Stuck, stuck out every limb for him. <laughs> and I'd tell him that, man, he's losing his step. <laughs> I'd be like, he's really not, not who he used to be. Um, but really from what I've heard, a great guy. And I really don't know what he's up to these days, but maybe he's doing a little bit of sports commentary. Cause I've heard him do that, um, a bit in the past. Well, the time, uh, the time has come. Yeah. I think we're officially ready for our final topic. The last little dive, a little look ahead into the next week. Back at home, kicking the ball off at Soldier Field, a good old noon game. I'm ecstatic. You're probably pissed off. Um, <laughs> Bears, 10 a.m. over Bears, here. Bears, Bengals. One of the main storylines, sure, the good old Andy Dalton revenge game. He became Andy Dalton became a name <laughs> as a Bengals oh. quarterback. The Red Rocket. Uh, you know, I don't know how much that really plays into it. It's not even like it was his last t- last team. He played for the Dallas Cowboys. Sure, he made most of his history there. Maybe he's got a little bit of extra pep in his step this week in game preparation. He's going to come out firing, you know, looking for blood. But I don't know. How, how much do you actually read into an Andy Dalton revenge game? Uh, I, I could see, you know, I think that these things are usually um, a little bit overhyped you know like they're they're a little bit more for us than they are for them most players you don't tell say, you, come on come on no i i, I mean some <laughs> some kidding. do but but okay last year dalton played the Bengals, right like and they absolutely crushed them it was 30 to 7 uh he had himself a pretty good game 185 yards two touchdowns 16 of 23 passing but uh so I, you know he already had his revenge game man like I, yeah. I, i'd like to see us almost play the cowboys at this point more than i'd <laughs> like to see him play uh uh the Bengals. but you know it'll be cool I, I don't mean to take away any any hype from the game but i think if we're talk, calling it a revenge game or something i think we're about a year late that, that that's that's probably fair <laughs> and, and, and <laughs> a strong point that the fact that he played them last year as a cowboy i, I think that almost Totally negates that effect in the game. I I think... And beat them. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Which is... And you said, what, 185, two touchdowns, at least didn't throw any picks. Did what he needed to do to win the game, ultimately. I think what I'm looking at mostly in this game, I'm curious to see the matchups. Jamar Chase had himself a game. I'm really curious to see how this Bengals offense matches up against this defense i think logic would tell you that in the home opener the bears should be able to win this game but i'm not sold on it i'm not sold on it at all i i think burrow showed that he had he, he's playing well he came out right after the injury had a good game 
Um, and, and Jamar Chase went over 100 yards. Running back went over 100 yards. And Joe Mixon, when you both have strong individual performances like that, that's something that you can really build off of. And they're going to attack that. After what they saw last game against the Rams, the Bengals would be idiotic not to throw the ball downfield against this Bears team and make them prove that they can defend the deep pass. It, you yep. know the Bengals are going to come out and take some deep shots on this defense right away. And if the Bears fall flat-footed, if they're not prepared, they're not, you know, show, give the same amount of effort that they did week one, then the Bears are going to find themselves in a very similar situation to where they were week one. Right. I mean, so last week, right, like the Vikings, I think most people would agree, like the Vikings are pretty well known for their defense. They're kind of a defensively oriented team. Uh, they let Burrow throw 261 yards, two touchdowns. And not only that, they they were letting the run game go. I mean, like hundred Joe Mixon with 127 yards, 4.4 yards per carry with a touchdown to, to top it off. That's going to get it done uh, every Jamar day. <laughs> Chase had a, yeah, Jamar Chase had 101 yards on only five receptions, okay? So they were taking shots. Um, do we think that the Bears defense is going to play better than the Vikings right now after week one? I don't know. It's arguable, right? So. Yeah. Yeah, if, if they're watching tape, which you know they are, the Bengals are going to just th- – they're going to be airing it out. Joe Burrow was pretty accurate, 20 of 27. Um, I, I don't see why and, – and, and, yeah, talk about coming off his injury. Like, man, you know, I, I, I don't think everybody was fully confident that he was going to come out and have, have a strong game and look as good as he did. He, he looks like he's untouched by that injury. So uh, we got a fully healthy Joe Burrow, um, you know, number one pick. He's he's kind of a you know he's kind of a stud and I I don't think we can take this team lightly I think that there was a lot of talk going into this week that oh the Bengals are a guaranteed win oh it's the Red Rifles revenge game like nah man I, I'm I'm this is gonna be a real game yeah I think that this is gonna be a bit of a slugfest this is not gonna be an easy win um, I could see the the score being tight I hope I hope we we actually score more than thirteen friggin' points, right? Or whatever yeah. the hell we had. Well, um, yeah. And I think that, you know, before week one, right, it was like, okay, you're probably going to lose to the Rams, but this is, the, you know, the Bengals, that's where we get, we get the first one. It's at home, playing the Bengals, and then you see how week one actually played out. Bears showing the weaknesses that they did, Bengals showing the strengths that they did, and to me, the ultimate glaring, probably what the game depends on, is the pass rush. I think that the Bengals, I think they'll probably have their way running the ball. If the Bears want to slow down the Bengals, they're going to have to take advantage that the the Cincinnati offensive line still isn't great, and they are going to have to get pressure on Burrow consistently. If they're not able to do it for all four quarters, I'm concerned that they're going to slip and give up a couple touchdowns. I put it this way. If the Bengals can get back up to 27 points again this game, it is certainly like at best, a 50-50 game for the Bears, at best. I, I think that, right. you know, if the Bears haven't proved they can get up to there, the Bengals show that they can do it with some ease and balance and, and getting it done all over the field in all different kind of all different kind of ways, running a pretty balanced offense. So I think that's the biggest question mark. And offensively, what I'm looking at is Montgomery. You're going to have to feed him. I, I think that the front seven for the Bengals isn't extremely vicious. We shouldn't be too worried about put, keeping the ball on the ground. If we can get the run game going, Zach's already asking for it. Boom, play action, get it done, get it going that way. 
stretch, use more of the field. That's going to be the key offensively. The Bears, great offenses. And I think that, you know, we saw a little bit of this in college football was, you know, as soon as the spread offense came into play, everyone thought like, oh, wow, it's great. You know, you're spreading it out. You're making the defense spread out at the beginning of the play. And what that really evolved into, NFL coaches took that and are like, the best offenses you utilize every different portion of the field. If we can test the defense in every different portion of the field, then we have them where we want them. Asking the Bears to take that from basically using the first third of the field, what's in front of them, 10 yards. <laughs> if they can get bring it to the next level, they're giving themselves a bit of a shot. And they're going to make that happen by keeping the ball on the ground at first with David Montgomery and hopefully utilizing that bit of an advantage that they have there and making everything else work from that point on. So I think offensively looking for Montgomery to have a big game and hopefully get that ball a little bit deeper down the field. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I mentioned this again last week, but Montgomery only had 16 carries. Uh, You know, he was averaging uh, uh, 6.8 a carry, uh, 6.8 yards a carry. And you kind of ask yourself, well, why why wasn't he given the ball more? He, you know, in 16 carries, he already had 108 rushing yards. Why? Well, it's because we're playing from behind, and, and there becomes a point where, you know, when you're when you're down two two scores, you got to start airing it out. Yep. And to see us dinking and dunking, if you're not going to give Montgomery the ball, and you're going to throw it seven yards, just Might as well give run him it. the yeah. friggin' ball. Might as well just <laughs> run yeah. it, right? Like, yep. what are we doing? So so, you know. Stick stick with some sort of a diversified attack, air it out. Like you said, give it to Montgomery. Really, I, I'm all in favor. Feed Montgomery. I want to see Montgomery get like 26 carries. I, I, I want to see him fuel this offense. That'd be great. Um, and hopefully, yeah. hopefully, he can get five or six of those on a final drive just to run out the clock. You know, can we just oh, be yeah. in an advantage where we are sitting there and just running the ball, running some time, milking? Some time off the clock. Uh, just some news heading into the game as far as where injury situations are at. Chicago Bears defensive lineman Eddie Goldman practiced, and he didn't practice all of last week, so it looks like he's a go. Uh, Jason Pierce was limited, and Larry Borum didn't practice. Von Bell says that the Bengals are going to take over the city. Cincinnati is coming for Chicago. Zach, I think I did. I think I made my prediction first last week. Give me a score. Give me a little bit of rationale, and uh, then I'll I'll give mine. <laughs> I'm gonna say. I think we do get the win. I, I wouldn't okay. call it a revenge game. I think we're gonna get the win here. And in fact, I actually think Nagy somehow hears our pleas. He's been listening to the podcast. Thank God. <laughs> he's sitting there. He's scratching his chin. He's going, you know what? These two guys are real smart. They definitely know what they're talking about. We're gonna stretch the field. We're going to feed Montgomery. We're going to keep feeding them. And I think we're going to pile on something close to 30 points. I could see this being, let's say, Bears 31, uh, Bengals 27, 28. I like it. I like it. And I I think think it's going to be tight. Yeah. And I think that that's a pretty realistic score because that's that's if things start going right for the Bears offense. If we're going to predict the Bears win, I figure that they're going to end up going north of 30 points and they really have to flip the script, you know. And I think the other option is a little bit – I think everything's so dependent on, like, the first couple drives in this game, honestly. Because if this game goes down, that home crowd loses energy quick, it could take a real sharp turn. It, I don't know. We'll see. I, I want to have some faith in Matt Nagy. I don't want to – I predicted the loss last week. 
and I'm going to be hopeful. I'm going to be hopeful. You know, I got to do it. It's the home first game of the season. <laughs> home opener. I'll go. I'll optimistic. give the Bears. I, I don't know if I'm quite feeling 30. You know, maybe we're a little advantageous there. I'll give a Bears 27 because this is the Bears. They got to kick a couple field goals, right? Yeah. You know, th- yeah. no way they're punching in the end zone every time. So I'll go Bears 27. Uh, a Bengals, a nice 20. I think they, they keep it. Keep it away from a touchdown. Um, I, like I think in some moments, maybe the game looks a bit tense. This is a game that's going to lean on a couple of different plays. It could be somewhat similar to week one where we're looking back and saying, this is the play that made it. This is the play that changed the changed the game, changed the tide, flipped momentum. Uh, I think that's kind of what we're going to see. Any other major things heading into week two home opener that you see, see coming along? Or, or is that about it, man? No, I, I'm, you know, I do think uh, we're going to, we're gonna feed off that home crowd as long as the boo birds don't come out. Uh, yeah, no promises. Which that might even be no promises. Chicago's hardcore. That, that that's <laughs> that could very well be as soon as Andy Dalton takes the field. Um, <laughs> <laughs> snap one, first snap, boo. Yeah, but we'll see how it plays out. Let's hope as Bears fans. I mean, even with a long term view, we're not looking for a tank or anything. I mean, we know this team's not going to the Super Bowl. But we're not looking for a tank. Hopefully the Bears no. can can get a win on their home opener and at least give us a little bit of hope, maybe you know a little bit more hopeful heading into week three. As always, I appreciate all the support. Thank you guys and gals for hanging in there for a, another hour-long podcast with us. And, uh, yeah, as always, bear down. Bear down.